my wife, lovely Sabrina, has grand visions for my life. And she is, uh, gives me lots of helpful suggestions for how I can be a better husband. And I'm okay with that because I really do want to make her happy. That, hear that, darling. My, that is my heart. I want to please her. I want to be happy, to be happy with me. But sometimes I get overwhelmed with the many ideas. And so I sometimes will come to her and say, hey, Sabrina, I want to make you happy, but could you just, are there just like one or two really, really important ones? Because I can't keep them all in my head at the same time, right? Just give me a couple and I can focus on them. And if I do those, then basically we're good. Now, she is reticent to let me off the hook, but usually she will say, okay, if you want to know, it comes down to this. Leave no trace. Pick up after yourself. That's the answer I've been getting for years. I don't believe it. I'm like, come on, that cannot be the most important thing. And then I say, well, I must be doing a lot right, and that's the only area that there is a problem. But don't you wish that you had from God sort of the, the simple, just do this? You know, the Bible has all kinds of commands. There are 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible alone, what we call the Torah, 613 commands. 353, I believe, that are um, thou shalt not, and the rest are the positive commands. 613, who can keep 613 commands uh, in, in his head at all times? Well, the Jews... You know, they were overwhelmed as well, and so they would often try to figure out what's the greatest command. Are, is there a command that sort of um, encapsulates all the other commands, and we'll just do that one, and, and then we'll be good with God? And so, uh, they, rabbis were often asked, what's the greatest commandment? In fact, there was uh, one student who stood on one leg and then asked his rabbi, summarize the law before I put my other leg down. And the rabbi said, essentially, the golden rule. The entire law is this. Uh, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. The rest are details. So, so we shouldn't be surprised that in our Bible story today, a religious teacher of the law asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment. He wants to know, what does Jesus think uh, kind of encapsulates the real heart of God? And Jesus gives him an answer, which is wonderful, so we don't have to keep all the commandments, you know, right at the forefront of our minds. We could focus on the, the most important one, and, and everything else will work itself out. So we are in a, the Gospel of Mark, and our, our series is titled Marked. We want our lives to be marked by our encounter with Christ through this study of his life and teachings. It is a tragedy to encounter Jesus and walk away the same. And so we want to be constantly asking, where do you want to change me? How do you want my life to look differently? What values do you want me to change? What attitudes do you want me to change? How do you want to change my behavior? And so, have that 
um, mind as we go into today's text. In fact, Lord, uh, we submit ourselves right now to your word, and we ask that you would have your way uh, with us, Lord. And so, Spirit of God, come and correct us where we need corrected, comfort us where we need comforted, uh, give us your guidance through the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're looking today at verses 28 to 34. We read this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. So what's happening? Jesus uh, has just been in a conversation with some Sadducees. And Sadducees are uh, religious leaders in, in Israel at Jesus' day. And what distinguished them is the fact that they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Which is why they were sad, you see. Ha. They don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so uh, they have come up with a question that they believe is going to stump the pastor. Stump the rabbi. And also go to show how silly it is to believe that there is a resurrection from the dead. And you can read about that uh, encounter earlier uh, in chapter 12. But the bottom line is Jesus gives a response that uh, completely confounds the Sadducees. And here's this scribe who is a teacher of the law who does believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he's loving Jesus' answer. He's like, brilliant answer. And you know what? I... I respect this guy enough, I'm going to ask him the important question. What's the most important commandment? Now, in, in all of Mark, this is the only scribe who deals positively with Jesus. The rest of them are all antagonistic, but this guy seems to uh, be uh, pro-Jesus, impressed with him, and I think that that's, that's his heart. So one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Right off the bat, let me ask, how comfortable are you with the idea that there is a God in heaven who has a will for your life, and he has revealed that in the Bible? Because the whole idea that there is a commandment assumes there is a God who has authority and can tell us what to do and in fact does tell us what to do. That's Jesus' worldview. He's okay with that. Are we? You know, the Bible says there are two ways to live. One way to live is in submission to your maker. And the other way is in rebellion. The Bible tells us that there is coming a day in which we will all die and give an account to God for the way we've lived our life. Someday you will stand before God and have to explain why you lived your life the way you lived. And if you've ignored the commands of God or disobeyed the commands of God, you're going to have to explain why you did that. And what we want is we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I entrusted life to you. I gave you some uh, contours, some lanes to run in, and, and you did that well. Good job. Come and enter into my rest. Receive your reward. What we don't want to hear is, depart from me, 
you wicked servant. I gave you life, and you ignored how I told you to live it. The greatest command. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He's quoting here uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 10, the Shema, which pious Jews in Jesus' day uh, repeated twice a day. So uh, this is not a, this is a very familiar verse. But listen, religion without love for God is dead. It's dead. God doesn't want you to just have right ideas. He wants your heart. He wants to be, to be loved with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, God wants us to love Him with everything we are and everything we have. Do you love God like that? God loves us. That's not in question. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us. He saw our need, and so He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And anytime you question whether or not God loves you, and usually we do that because we're not living very, very well, right? We're like, I'm such a bad person, God can't love me. I'm having a hard time loving myself. We look to the cross because the love of God is on display on the cross. God loved me, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. Not just an emotional uh, feel good about you. He loves you enough to act and even lay down his life for you. So God loves us. Do we love God? So I asked my daughters at lunch the other day, I said, hey, girls, if somebody were to ask you, do you love God, how would you answer them? And as a dad, their answers were very heartwarming to me because they said things like, well, I would say, I know I love God because I talk to him a lot. I know I love God because I don't want to disappoint Him. I know I love God because I do what He tells me to do. And as a dad, I'm listening to this going, yes. <laughs> yes, that's evidence. You know, sometimes our love for God can wane. It can grow cold. Jesus challenges the Christians in uh, Philip or Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. We read this. Jesus says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. James and Ella Embry are uh, running a journey group right now called Fierce Marriage. And... Uh, these couples are picking up weekly challenges to express their love for each other. 
And they're being very intentional. What are they trying to do? They're trying to uh, grow their love, maybe even rekindle their love. Because the fact is, love can ebb and flow. And what does Jesus tell the Christians in Ephesus? You've lost your first love. Repent and do the things you used to do. Rekindle it. And it might be that today what God challenges you with is, you know what? Uh, your love for me is, has been shrinking. It's been waning. Come back. Love God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What does that look like? Where are you in that? Well, if you wonder if you love God, there is an undeniable test. What Jesus tells us is those who love God keep His commands. Let me read some scriptures to this effect. In John chapter 14, verse 21, we read this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 21, or verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Whoever says, I know him about God, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And 2 John chapter 1, verse 6. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. So, it's awesome. It's a good thing to sing songs of praise to the Lord and, and be emotionally touched and maybe cry and raise your hands. That's good. But if you walk out and then totally live as if God has no will for you and you're not concerned about what He wants from you, do you really love God? People who love God want to know His will. It, people who love God study the Bible because they're like, what does God want from me? I want to please Him. I want to honor Him. And those who love God are quick to repent when they sin. It grieves us, right? We're like, God, I'm sorry. I, didn't want, I don't want to do that. Forgive me for that. And so, you, you know, how you are, your stance, your approach to the commands of God is indication of your love for God. And so, if you love the Lord, you're going to want to know what He wants from you. You're, it's going to matter to you to obey. 
And when you don't, you're going to be quick to repent and return. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength? This is the greatest commandment. That's what's most important to God. So the scribe asked Jesus, tell me the, the greatest commandment. And Jesus gives him two. Why is that? Right? The first one is the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. And the other, the other one is love your neighbor as yourself. And that's from Leviticus 19. So why, when he asks for the greatest, does Jesus give him two? It's because loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself are both critically important to God. And if we want to live in right relationship with him, then we need both going on. This is why at, at the end of every service, we say, go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus says, that is the most important thing. Do that, and everything else will work itself out. The second is this, verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And in Matthew chapter 22, where this um, interaction is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uh, adds, all the law and the prophet depend on this. In other words, the rest of the commands of Scripture are out are practical applications of what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. So he has given us, you know, here it is. You can, you can get, that, your, get your mind and your heart around that. It's easy to understand. It's incredibly hard to live out, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? How do we love ourselves. Well, it's, this is not self-love. I'm awesome because I just skied 50K last Sunday. Well, the rest of you are in church. Good job, by the way. Jude came up to me. Thank you. Thanks for forgiving me. Jude, one of our elementary kids, saw me uh, at Kincaid finishing, and he said, why weren't you at church today? Like, no. Oh. But I skied the 50K, I survived, and, but, what was my point? My point was, yeah, self, this is not Jesus saying, love yourself. Go around saying, you know, I'm wonderful, I'm great, I can do it. That's not what he's talking about. He, what he's saying is, all humans, whether you have positive self-esteem or not, all humans spend time and energy and money and thought ensuring that their needs are met. Nobody has to teach us to take care of ourselves, right? We have, a, we have a, a need to live, and so we make sure that our basic needs are met. And so we all do that. Jesus is calling us to don't just be concerned for ourselves, but spend time and energy and thought and money on helping other people get their needs met as well. And uh, we're told this in Philippians chapter 2, uh, think not only about your own interests, but also about the interests of others. And the Apostle James tells us uh, love for other people isn't just a thought, 
can't just be an emotion. It has to work itself out in action. Uh, in James chapter 2, verse 15, he writes, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, they have need. And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Sounds very loving. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Right? So, we're called to love God with our all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, which means make sure that our neighbor uh, has their needs met as well as our own. And who's our neighbor? Jesus answered that with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Anyone we encounter who has need. The Bible is very clear that those who love God love people created in His image. Those who love God love people created in His image. And so a spiritual life that says, I love God, but then doesn't love the neighbor, that's not a healthy spiritual life. And a spiritual life that's all about loving the neighbor and not about loving God, that's not a healthy spiritual life. That's right. One of the reasons I was never impressed with those monks who hung out in caves back in the, in the early... Uh, few hundred years after the church, or, or lived up on top of pillars. I mean, they're impressive because of their self-denial, but that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is to be lived amongst people, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. So how, how are you doing loving your neighbor as yourself? I've said this before, but I'll, you know... It was, some, it was somewhere in my 30s. I don't know why it took me until my 30s because I already graduated from seminary. But it was in my 30s when I, it's like I got it and I realized spiritual maturity is not about knowing the right answers because I had lots of right answers. It's about how much do I love God? How much do I love others? And all of a sudden, I went back to feeling like a novice. And looking out in the congregation and, and, and people like my mother and many others and thought, they are more spiritually mature than I am. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm growing in my love for God and others, and it won't end this side of heaven. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. When I read that, it irritates me. I'm like, you're talking to Jesus, and you're acting like, you know, you're validating what he's saying. Uh, he's your judge. You're not his. But, but what he's saying is correct. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he's added something to what Jesus said. He is saying that, Loving God and loving others is more important than all the religious activity that we see around us because they're standing in the temple when they're having this conversation and it's during Passover, which means there are lots of sacrifices going on. They can smell them and they can hear them and they can see them. And this guy says, uh, loving God and loving others is more important than all of this religious activity. And Jesus agrees because in verse 34 we read, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, 
He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But that still means he's outside the kingdom. Right? If I'm the scribe, I'm like, what? what? What do you mean I'm not far? That still puts me on the outside. Why am I on the outside? Why is he on the outside? I mean, his theology is correct. Of course, the Apostle James tells us, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Correct theology doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. But he seems to also, assuming that he's living out his ethic of loving your neighbor as yourself, he's also an ethical guy, right? He's doing good to other people. Why is he on the outside? Well, how do you go from being outside the kingdom of God to being inside the kingdom of God? By placing your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what this guy lacks. He has not yet become a follower of Jesus. He has not received Christ as his personal Savior, as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And as a result, even though his theology is great and his ethical life is great, he still lacks personal faith in Jesus Christ. So make no mistake about it. You could be a good person, doing good things, and not go to heaven if you reject Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So think again. All the law and the prophets depend on this. Why did God just, why did God not simply say, hey, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and leave it at that? Why did he go on to articulate what that looks like practically in everyday life? In many, many situations. Because he knows that left to us, we'd come up with all kinds of incorrect uh, outworkings, right? We would say, oh, loving God means I need to create a, 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 an idol in his image and feed it grain, right? Loving my neighbor as myself means I need to tell them lies when it's inconvenient and, and they wouldn't want to hear the truth. And so God tells us, he, le- he doesn't leave it up to us to, un- to uh, decide what the loving act is. He tells us how he wants to be loved and how we are to love other people. And one of the things that the Bible is extremely clear about is one way God wants you to love him is by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and letting Jesus call the shots in your life, sit on the throne of your life. And to say no to that is the ultimate act of unlove toward God. And so if you are here this morning and you have never put your faith in God's son, Jesus, that's your next step. God says the greatest commandment is to love him. How do you love him? By embracing his son. He who loves me loves the father, Jesus says. You don't love God if you are still stiff-arming his son, Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. You do not love God if you stiff-arm His Son, Jesus Christ. The two are incompatible. Now, to the Christian. One last story. If you remember, Jesus has risen from the dead. It's, he's soon to ascend to the Father. 
and send his spirit. So one of the last days he's on earth and he uh, hangs out with his disciples. And during that time he asks Peter, do you love me? Three times. First time, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. The third time, Peter, do you love me? And, and you can just feel Peter's distress. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. You can see my heart. And I, I think Peter is self-examining. He's like, no, it's real. You know I love you. And Jesus knew that. Jesus really wasn't doubting his love. He was trying to get across, then here's what I want you to do. What does he tell him? Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. So, those who love God, love people created in His image. And if you, one, of the, one of the primary ways that we show our love for God is by loving other people.